Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luhr, and I'm delighted to have a fellow sports entrepreneur here in Asia on the line today, Mr. Ravi Krishnan, calling in from Australia. Welcome, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, great to have you, Ravi. And uh, obviously, we've crossed paths many times over the last 20 years across Asia here, and of course, specifically in India. Um, where you spend uh, a very large chunk of your career. So, um, but let me just quickly give a little more background on yourself, um, and then we get into all your stories here. So, um, Ravi has been, uh, um, I think, a keen sportsman in his early days, um, and then uh, ended up uh, with IMG in India um, in the mid '90s, uh, helping set up uh, a big office there, and on the back of it, doing a lot of amazing things. Um, but now, uh, I think over the last sort of 10 plus years has become its own, has become its entrepreneur. Uh, and that's what the, the podcast is always about, the sports entrepreneurs here. Um, and so we'll dig deep into that as well. Um, but let's get into your stories here, Ravi. Uh, like I said, you're currently calling from uh, Australia. Where are you in Melbourne or in Sydney? No, I'm in, I'm in Sydney. I'm in, in Sydney. Sydney. All yeah, right. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Excellent. Beautiful city. And I understand you were celebrating your 18th birthday of your daughter there yesterday. So. Happy birthday from us here. I'm calling it from much. Bangkok. So um, this is going to be fun. Now, let's get in there. How did you get into the world of sports? I know you were playing it, uh, and I think something happened, and uh, then the past took a different direction there. Tell us. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I had sort of aspirations as a sportsman, but you know, injuries put pay to that. And uh, then I went to law school, and, you know, actually, it's actually, you know, it's actually funny. When I was, in, when I was playing in the uh, Australian Open Juniors in, in 19, uh, 1985, I read an article about Mark McCormack in the in the papers, um, right. and uh, that sort of you know that I think that seeded you know the idea of potentially you know going into the to the world of sports marketing. Um, right. And so you uh, played junior tennis at the Australian Open. I mean, that's a pretty serious level yeah. already. Yeah, I mean, you know, so you had some talent. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess I had a little bit. Yeah, but I, you know, I was never going to be a world beater. So probably you know probably you know, destiny uh, played a positive part for me. Um, you know, I read about Mark in the papers. And I guess that's, you know, that, that, that's so to seed in my mind. And then, you know, after I finished law school, I went and worked for a big corporate law firm and I realized that wasn't for me. And, you know, I had the aspirations to, to work for IMG, but I also had an aspiration to, to get out of Australia, not because I, I didn't like it. I, I love Australia and, you know, it's very much, you know, one of my two homes, but, yeah. you know, I, I felt there was much more out in the world. So, you know, I wanted to work for IMG and, you know, I did what everyone does and, and, and sent an email to them in, or it was a fax in those days, um, to, to the London office and got the sort of standard reply, nice CV, we'll keep it on file. And, <laughs> and you know, I thought, I thought, I sort of thought that was it. Um, and then I quit my job. And, and then, you know, I just, I just quit my job as a, a as a lawyer and decided I was going to take off and, and travel around the world for a bit. And, you know, that was probably the, you know, the, 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 the best move I made. I, you know, I, I did, I did a bunch of odd jobs around the world. I, I was right. teaching English in Korea. I was tennis coaching at uh, Club Med in Malaysia oh, nice. and Israel, and actually, and actually in in Malaysia, I met a guy uh, who was a guest there, um, uh, and Rob Remnant, and uh, you know we were talking, and he's like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, you're a lawyer, why are you here? I said, look, I really want to work for this company, IMG, and it just turned out that he knew someone in London, and he sent a fax to that person and said, when you know, when this guy gets to London, because that was part of my that was part of my ticket. You know, you oh, should yeah. meet him. And I got I got there eight months later. And I'll cut a long story short. You know, I met. I, you know, as part of that process, I met Andrew Wildblood um, and Bill Sinrich, and uh, you know, uh, that ended up getting me a job. But the job was to was was the junior most member of the setup team to go to India, um, right, you know, okay. which was which was never really part of my plan. You know, although I'm of Indian origin, I yes. I had never thought about working in India. But that was the only job they offered me, and I, I took it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was a smart move in hindsight. No? Uh, and, and the part which is interesting, I don't know how many guys I've had on the podcast who had a law degree and are in sports. I don't know what it is with your lawyers, why you all think you should be in sports, to be honest. But uh, anyway, well, that's maybe another story. All the well, I, 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 think it's, I think it's really I think the origin of that is because Mark McCormack, who was really the, the founder and the father of the, and the pioneer of the industry, he was a lawyer. You yeah, know, I think maybe. there are a lot of lawyers, there are a lot of lawyers that you know, I guess he sort of employed or or brought into the business, you know, in those early days. And I guess that's why a lot of lawyers gravitated towards it. And at, at the end of the day, mate, we're, you and I are sales guys at the end of the day, but, you know, it helps to have a, I think it does help to have a law degree. 
Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And like I said, and it's, it's interesting. I've heard it now so many times. So uh, you know, it's definitely a pattern there, uh, you know, when people are listening here. Um, now then, so you got into India, as you said, uh, you were a junior member of, of the team setting up the Indian office. Um, we've had an Indian o an office in India for many years as well. So I'm sure there's certain interesting parallels and I'm certain time, I'm sure at one point in time we were probably competing against each other in some sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's all fun, you know, and that's where we should talk about now. So tell me, you had sort of two, uh, distinct, uh, part, uh, parts with IMG, right? So I call it round one, round two here. So let's get into, into the round one part. Uh, which really was about Sahara Cricket um, Cup, right? and, and you also set up a tennis tournament. Tell us a bit how the early days, so the, you know, the mid-90s of, of uh, sports marketing in India, how did it look and, and what was the challenge and, and opportunities you, you guys were working on? Look, I think, you know, I think, you know, India, as you know, opened up in, in 92 for, you know, liberalization, as they called it. Right. And there was a bit of a, there was a rush to India at that point in time. Uh, from companies from you know all industries you know to capitalize on you know the billion plus people um, yep. but i think you know it was it was early days you know i mean just because it opened up you know it took it's taken a long time for it to change you know mm. you know, um, you know disposable incomes etc didn't go up overnight you know so i think people there's a bit of a, a gold rush mentality but it took a you know it's taken a long time for for that to realize but you know img uh, you know img got in there you know early mm. um you know and i think It was an interesting time, but a challenging time. I mean, I think, you know, cricket was and still is, you know, by far and away the number one sport. And, you know, as you know, IMG had been doing the television production you know, before we opened the office. And that was sort of the entree to getting in. Right. That was TWI um, we, days, right? Correct, correct, correct. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, you know, we secured the license for the ATP event. We bought a license from Nice and moved it to India. So that was a, another bedrock. Hmm. And the idea, was, the idea was originally to have that tournament in, in Delhi. I mean, I'll come back to come back to that in a second. So, between the television production, you know, and having the ATP license, that, I think that gave you know that gave the powers that be the impetus to set up an office, there. and we right. set up the first office in Delhi, right. you know. And then it was pretty, and you know, and then and then you know, in that process, they negotiated a deal with the football federation to set up the the first league and the, and and the hockey federation, and um, you know, so we so we so we you know so we just that that was the that was the reason for setting up the, the office. Hmm. You know, we landed we landed there in uh, October. I landed in October 1995 and, you know, I had no exposure to the industry. The other two guys in IMG, Dick Alford and Malcolm Thorpe, had some exposure. Malcolm came from the legal department in London and, and okay. Dick had been with the company for many years. And Peter Hutton, who you know, was was there as TWI. But, you know, yeah. for me, I was very green. Um, you know, and I remember our first meeting, you know, we had a we went down to watch the Bangalore test um, test match um, and uh, we, had a, we had our sort of first internal meeting and there was a – about eight of us, um, you know, some people from London or whatever. And, right. you know, I, I, I was part of the sales team, which was just, you know, two of us. And uh, yep. literally, we, literally, we opened up magazines and newspapers and just started writing down company names and then divided <laughs> them up and said, go meet them. Yeah. That, was, that was it. It was, it was, it was as unscientific as that. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like, I, probably that's how we started too. Uh, we were a bit later than you guys, but uh, for sure, I think the system is always the same, right? You just have to go in there. Um, and in a market like India, uh, like you rightly said, the opportunities are actually more than what you can do anyway, right? I mean, you literally look at every corner and there is something you could do right, in the world of sports or in other business goals as well. Um, and that's, I think, always the biggest challenge, right? You kind of get yourself a bit lost, um, you know, with all these things there and the question of where you spend your time and energy. So what was sort of the first big one? Was it the Sahara Cup, which uh, which was really well, sort of took off or, or was well, it which site was it? Well, actually, 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 one of the things that uh, Bill Shunich, who was my boss uh, back then, had negotiated, you know, because he was heading TWI and we were doing the cricket television production. Mm. He negotiated for um, us to do the hospitality of the Cricket World Cup, which was in 1996. Okay. Um, um, Mr. Bindra, who was then the, the president, Dalmia, had been to Wimbledon, mm. um, I think a year before, and had seen the beautiful marquees and all the rest of it and said, we want to do this in the World Cup. So, right. um, so, so we took on the responsibility of that. So my first real project was selling hospitality okay. to the Cricket World Cup in 1996, which was, you know, which, which was, you know, at the time, you know, I mean, I didn't really know, know much about it, but actually in hindsight, it was a great thing to do because, you know, in, to do that, You had to meet all the companies because you yep. were selling to corporates, sure. and everyone wanted to talk because it was cricket World Cup. So you know, yeah, sure. I you know, in that process, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, and look, I was very young, and I was 27, and India still had that legacy of you know hierarchy and mm. you know, you know, and experience. Unless you had grey hair, you know, you, you weren't really treated seriously. But because we were doing 
cricket and because we were doing you know and, and then, then other stuff yes. you know, i had access to i had access to some very senior people you know, right. and, you know the, 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 the the who's who of indian of corporate india yes. at a very young age and many of those relationships are relationships that you know i continue to have today and with the, the next generation i think that's something that you know i didn't realize how important that was at the time mm. but you know now i do because you know a lot of those people you can't access you would i wouldn't be able to access now you know india's evolved so much and there are five or ten layers you know, between them and, you know, someone like me. But at that point in time, you know, I, I managed to, you know, I managed to develop relationships with, you know, like I said, the, the who's who of it, it, corporate India. And I think that stood me in good stead as I, as I moved forward. Yeah, and that makes total sense. And, and I've seen this in, in, in projects we've done where it, exactly it, these things do open doors amazingly. And, and I have no doubt uh, the, the Cricket World Cup in India at that time was as big as it, it yeah. would be now. Absolutely. Correct. You know, and on the back of that, because, because and that and that was really you know, doing the cricket World Cup hospitality wasn't necessarily going to be a huge money maker, but you know the the, 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 the strategy was to do that and you know and, and do that for the BCCI. And then on the back of that, you know, um, you know, we signed the or, or Bill signed the contract to do the Sahara Cup, which was really you know so that so the, really the, the cricket World Cup was really a Trojan horse to do that deal. Yep. You know, and that and that was a you know path breaker for, for many things. It revived India Pakistan cricket after a 10-year hiatus. It was yeah. ICC-sanctioned. It was in Toronto, of all places, right, mm. but gave us prime time in India. You know, and, 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 and you, know, you know, they did They did then, you know, what was a massive TV deal, which now would be nothing. I think it was $20 million for five matches a year or something. It wasn't, I mean, it sounds nothing today, but it was big then. Yeah. And that was really, and that TV deal was a catalyst for ESPN and Star to do their JV. I mean, ESPN won the rights, they bid against Star. Okay. And not long after that, they formed the JV because I think they decided they didn't want to, you know, compete with each other, um, you know, to just drive, you know, rights prices up. Right. But for me, the defining, but for me, the defining moment was really being involved in that Sahara deal. You know, um, that's something I worked on closely with Andrew. And, you know, that was my first taste of doing a, a big deal. And, you know, it wasn't easy selling. I mean, you know, it wasn't easy selling cricket in Toronto. You know, everyone wanted to talk cricket, but, you know, there's a lot of naysayers, um, there's a lot of people that thought it was a, you know, a, a crazy idea. Right. You know, now, you know, cricket in offshore markets is, you know, is, is what is what happens. But at that time, it was, you know, it's very path breaking. Absolutely. But uh, you know, it was, it was an the, incredible the, experience. Uh, yeah, for the uneducated here, I mean, India versus Pakistan—that's as big as I don't know any any sporting competition or, or sporting rivalry I can think of. Um, but you know, share a bit more from your own experience. Um, you know, how well, big this really is. Well, you know, it's it's been described as war minus the shooting, um, you know, and I <laughs> okay. think it, you know, it really it really you know is um, an emotional thing. You know, I mean, India Pakistan is one of one of those great rivalries. Yeah. Um, you know, notwithstanding that, you know, uh, the, you know, the play you, you see the camaraderie between the players when you know when you're there, but nevertheless, you know, the the the, the vitriol that you know you, you get for losing one of those cl clashes from your from your fellow countrymen is is pretty severe, so you know it, it, it's serious. Um, mm. But I've got to tell you, you now I you know I grew up in Australia, so you know I'm you know I, I spent the first twenty seven years of my life in Australia. So for me, the big rivalry was the Ashes, right? I mean that's right. what I grew up with, notwithstanding that I was Indian origin. Yeah. But you know you and and it's funny even even when I you know, we did the deal and obviously it was a big deal and that and that that you know that showed how important it was. But you know the match, the, the matches were in Toronto, and I went there and spent two weeks in Toronto. And when I got back to India, hmm. it was unreal how many people were, were talking about it. And then I realized what a big thing we'd done. You know, I, I'm, right. you know, I knew I knew we were doing something, you know, big. But it's only when I got back from Toronto, you know, and everyone was talking about it um, that I realized, you know, you know, you know, what, the, what a heartbreaking effort that was. Yeah, right. it was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, you yeah. know, and I think it gave people what they wanted. You know, and, and that's um. You know, that's something that'll stay with me forever. It really was one of those just you know incredible experiences. I can imagine. Now let's talk about a little bit about uh, the ATP Tour event which you set up again, groundbreaking thing. And obviously, being a player yourself in tennis, uh, that must have been something special too. Talk, tell us a little bit more about that. It was, but you know, I mean, the, you know, what what had happened was, you know, we we bought the license, um, and uh, the plan was to run it in Delhi, mm -hmm. and then you know. At that time, so we, the plan was run in Delhi. The first one was in 1996 in April. Um, and, uh, you know, what happened, and we had done a deal with ITC, so it was going to be the, the Golf Lake Open. Um, right. And a few months before we, we – we, you know, and, and at that time, the whole tobacco regulation thing was starting to rear its head. Um, right. And uh, a few months before the event, ITC had come to us and said, look, you know, we um, – we just can't do it in Delhi. Um, you know, we're self-regulating and we can't do it in Delhi. We're committed to doing it, but uh, 
we'll start next year and you, you got to find another location. Mm. So, you know, there we were, you know, with a, you know, with a massive tournament, you know, a few months away. I mean, the mm. chances of getting, and I obviously we're paying incredible money at that point in time for the, for yeah. the title sponsorship. They're not a five year deal. The ability to replace them, you know, at short notice, um, um, you know, it was virtually impossible. Um, so, you know, we, we actually did, we actually got McDowell, which is a UB company had, uh, had come on already as an associate sponsor. And we just sort of, you know, we did a deal with them to bump them up the title, but it was a fraction of what ITC were paying. Mm. And then we sort of ran that and, and that didn't really, and then there wasn't a lot of money put behind the marketing. So, we, you know, we ran the event, but frankly, it was a, you know, it was, a, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't a huge success. Um, you know, it was, um, you know, where, was a, where was, was the first event? Where did in, you host in Delhi, it? In Delhi. In, oh, you still in, hosted we, it in Delhi. So, so we had, okay. yeah, we couldn't move from Delhi at short notice and we had no okay. ability to move. I mean, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of facilities in India, you know, we just couldn't move it. So we actually just had to, you know, swallow the pill, right. run the event, um, run it at a you know, massive loss. Um, and, you know, there hardly any people came. It was April in Delhi and, you know, there wasn't a promotion. So, you know, but, you know, but, you know, we, we, we did it. And then uh, the next, and then we had to go on to a, a mission to try and find another venue for it. Um, and there weren't, there weren't a lot of great tennis stadium in India back then. So, but luckily we found uh, the SAF games had been in Chennai, I think in 1992, and there was a tennis stadium there. And we went out, you know, and we had, you know, cut a long story short, we, you know, we you know, we, we we went to Chennai and, and did a deal with them to to host a tournament, and we moved the tournament to Chennai. And from then on, was a it was it was a huge success. And you know, right. oh, I, I, I I went to, I went to the tournament. It's, 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 so it's had three homes: Delhi first one year, Chennai right. for you know twenty plus years, and and now it's in Pune. Pune and actually, right. and actually this year I went to the Pune event for the just, you know for the first time in ages just to to catch up with some friends and uh, you know um, the. Is it the, coincidentally the supervisor who was there this year was the same supervisor that who was there in 1996 and wow. uh, Thomas Kahlberg and we were uh, reminiscing about you know you know what a disaster 96 was and how far it had come and you know, yeah. it was it was but it was it, it was a great memory for me you know I've got to tell you one of the we were very under resourced you know I was I was in sales ostensibly but. You know, you were doing everything. We did every. every <laughs> mate, I was, I was, I was at the bottom of the stadium. There was no air conditioning. Handing out, you know, shoes to the ball boys, and I, yeah. I actually, the, the, the seats weren't numbered in the stadium. I, I actually went in the hot sun, and I, I, I with a you know bunch of kids numbered every seat. So, mm. you know, I, you know, I, that's I, what I you do. Right? Feel like I, yeah, I definitely feel like I cut my teeth. You know, it wasn't just all hospitality and swanning around. I mean, you know, literally every aspect of that event, yeah. you know, I, I was involved in in some way, and I think you know that. And that gives you a real grounding in, uh, you know, in, in running events. That stood me in good stead as I as I moved. I have some flashbacks. I have some flashbacks on these moments too when we were running certain events, uh, and that's what you do, right? You have no choice. It doesn't matter what title you are, or whether you're the CEO or God knows what. Uh, you got to roll up your sleeve and do it. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the fun part. Now, then you obviously you you left IMG for a bit, um, and you went sort of into uh, into the financial world, um, and also spent some time. Um, you know, and so that was sort of, I think, around the time when the IPL started, or, or also was sort of created. 2006 to 2006 to 2008, I was you know doing some private equity, but I was still on the board of IMG and still you know very much overseeing the tennis and overseeing Fashion Week. And you know, Fashion Week had actually happened. That was one of the another big thing that I was involved, which would happen in yeah. 2000. Um, but also, I was still very much involved, but not not full time and not as managing director um, in the, yeah. in that sort of short window. Yeah. Right, right. So you know, let's talk a bit about IPL. I mean, you know, the whole, that, that by now the whole world has kind of worked out. It's massive. It's a beautiful. You know, it was an incredible idea. It was outrageous to get started and how it was started. But uh, so tell us a little bit about the inside stories of it. You know, which maybe haven't been told yet. Well, look, I think you know, the first thing I'd say is you know, back in '96, you know, we were talking to Lullet and ESPN about doing a, a city-based league. You know that Lullet Modi, and that was you know yep. that was that, but that, the concept then was not obviously 2020. No one had done that. It was around 50 over cricket. No. You know, there's a, there a whole lot of you know planning that had, had gone into that, but it, it never got off the ground. So I think the idea of you know creating sort of city-based franchise-based cricket had been something that people have been talking about it for a while. But really, right. I think really the catalyst was you know the advent of 2020 cricket, and I think you know really you know I think it was just fortuitous that India won the the World Cup in South Africa, which really gave it a you know, some great momentum. But I think, you know, 
you know, they're really, in my mind, you know, there's a whole lot of people in, involved, but in my mind, you know, they're really two people who are the engine room of, of sort of getting it going. And that was Lullet and Andrew, you know, mm. they're very much uh, Andrew Wildblood, my, my boss. I mean, you know, Lullet was really the visionary and, you know, you know, the maverick and you know, had all the big vision and, and, and needed a big vision and it needed that sort of focus, you know, um, you know, right. that sort of, you know, um, you know, sort of unrelenting focus, you know, but Andrew and, you know, and, and, and the IMG team were critical. In, in, in making it happen, you know, in executing that vision. Um, and, you know, I, I know, and, and Andrew's been, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that went into it. You know, there was, converse, there was, there was a lot of, you know, case studies done on various leagues around the world. And there was a lot of conversations with p- professors who were experienced in sport. And I know Andrew spoke to a lot of different people in sort of coming up with, um, you know, coming up, you know, with the right concept. And, you know, there's a lot of research and, and, and detail that, that went into it. But, you know, you know, IMG was very, very much, you know, part of that whole process mm. um, in putting Lala's vision uh, in, into practice. You know, and I think, as I said, that India winning the t- 2007 World Cup, 2020 World Cup, was, I think, a, a real catalyst for, for the nation accepting, yeah. you know, the juggernaut that was 2020 cricket. And, and ironically, India was, I think, the one country that voted against having a 2020 World Cup. But, you know, once uh, you know, once it happened, you know, winning and winning and winning against Pakistan, winning and winning against Pakistan in the final, I think, was just a, you know, a huge stroke of fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And, and you know, I think uh, you know. I've had a couple of those conversations with others. It's sometimes sports or any any industry needs those kind of pivoting moments, right? Where uh, you know things which before was maybe a good idea, but it now becomes clear this is this is this something can really work. And clearly, that's what it sound, sounds like. And, and I'll want to talk a bit more later on, you know, how this this concept of franchises, you know, that you know was which fairly new to India at that time, right? It exists in the U.S. and in some parts of the world, but um, really not in that same fashion, really in India. And now you have everything from kabaddi to other sports. But let's stick to IPL for a minute before we go there. Um, so you spent some time, I think, with uh, with one of the clubs as well, right? One of the franchises. Um, yeah. Now, what before we get into the story there was with, uh, with Sean Wayne, um, I want to talk about you know the crazy bidding which went on to actually acquire this, right? Which was obviously uh, you know, and I have to sort of do these numbers a bit on the top of my head, but I remember one of the teams or a couple of teams went over a hundred million dollars for the franchise fees, right? Uh, I mean, just, you know, and, and this is still India, right? I mean, 100 million is a lot of money in, in most parts of the world, but that's crazy money in India, even at that time, right? Um, how do you, you know, how do you, how did that all happen? You know, a little bit sort of background on that stuff. Well, I think, I think you, again, again, you got to give a lot of credit to, 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 to Lullet and BCCI for not, for, for recognizing the value, you know, I mean, that, that's really important. You know, you can, you can undersell something like that pretty easily. And I think, you know, yes. but I think the real catalyst, you know, was the deal, the deal with Sony, you know, that billion dollar television deal, right. you know, you, if you, that was done first. And if you can do that and you go to potential franchisees, then you've got something underpinned. Ultimately, you know, the, the economic model was to distribute revenues amongst the franchises and to have that TV deal, you know, right. that allowed them to say, that allowed them to put the floor prices and, you know, and then, you know, um, you know, bring some of the key business houses to the table. I mean, there were, I think there were only, in the end, I think there were only about 11 uh, envelopes that were submitted on the, on the day of the, that they were open for the franchise. So it wasn't like there was a whole bunch of people coming in. You know, there was only 11, there was only eight going. So, you know, but I think they got, you know, they got, they got, you know, the right people at the table, um, you know, and they got, you know, and they, and they got an incredible, incredible amount of, fran- you know, incredible amount of revenue. And I think, but I think also, um, whilst the absolute numbers for the, for the franchise fees were high, you know, the fact that they could pay them over 10 years, 10 years you know, I think right. was, yeah, was yeah, very, it was very important because, you know, ultimately you, you, then there are ways to cash flow that, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. And given the revenue coming in, you know, I think it was a, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a, it was a great foundation uh, mm. upon which to, uh, you know, upon which to start. Yeah. And you're right. I think you're right. I mean, the big Sony deal for a billion dollars there, which similar was for 10 years, I believe. Um, that obviously, yeah, but they renegotiated after the second year, you know, made it, and it went from one, right. one to 1. 1.7. So, you know, it just showed, you know, I mean, I think there was, yeah, there was you know, a the, lot of, I, I mean, we all know, and you probably know more than I do, uh, what happened behind the scene and some of the, you know, male controversial things there. Uh, if you want to comment on it, please feel free. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, I, I, I don't, I mean, look, there was a, there's, I think the, I think the, the the whole the whole thing initially was there's a lot of wheeling and dealing and and I, and I think that happens to an extent, you know, when you've got a new property. I mean, you know, sometimes it's very hard to to predict everything, you know, going forward. But I think you know after that first year, the powers that be realised that you know this thing had a, a tremendous amount of, of value. I mean, that first year, 
and the first that was unbelievable. I think you know, you know, people were just. It wasn't like they were watching just their team. People were watching every match, you know. There was just some anecdotal evidence, you know, things like room service in hotels was going through the roof because people weren't leaving their rooms, and you know, people were just glued to the. To the it was it was a phenomenon. I mean, no, no one was watching, you know, soaps, you know, Indian soaps, which are big, and no one was going to movie theater. Everyone was just, you know, it was the greatest reality show on television. Yeah, yeah. no, no. I exactly. obviously this is definitely during my time when I was watching it as well, and and clearly someone who. Uh, you know, had to learn cricket uh, being German, but uh, the appreciation of what uh, um, the spectacle which was created, uh, you know, is, is yeah. unbelievable for sure. Yeah, it brought a lot of people. You know, brought a lot of people to the game. You know, it was, it was you know, it was, you know, it had all the razzmatazz, you know, like like NBA or whatever. You know, it had the Bollywood stars, some of them open owning teams. Everyone wanted to be seen at the games. Everyone wanted to, you know, to be seen on TV. So it just, you know, you know, families, you know, um, it just, you know, the, the 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 women viewership, you know, went you know went through the roof. So I think you know, at, at the end of the day, it went away from just being a sort of a <clears throat> primary male demographic. To something that you know people would find it was, it was sportainment at its best but right. you know, one of the most important things was that it was sport and i think it was critical that you had the best players in the world playing you know i mean that that was really important and i'll tell you what was really amazing in the first year which never happened again was having the the pakistani players playing you know they all played and you know they were playing on the same team as indians i mean you know we had you know as you know i was, I was the vice chairman of the Rajasthan royals and we had a right. had a couple of couple of players including sohel tanvira who i think you know won the purple cap that year and you know they, might, you know it's it's a shame it's a shame that they haven't been playing uh, since. That's that you know that's a real loss I think to the IPL. Really, I, really I have, have to admit I didn't realize that. So, so that so the the pack, I know they have their own uh, version of it, um, but I didn't realize they're not playing at all in in the IPL anymore. Yeah, they weren't since then. They haven't been uh, given visas to play. So you know, oh, we, right. okay. yeah, the only we had it was the first year. Yeah, interesting. Now they may have played the, they may have played the second year because it was in South Africa. I can't. I'm pretty maybe they yeah. played the second year, but since then they haven't. They haven't played again in India. Right. Well, this year, you know, now they're going to be playing in the Middle East, right? In the UAE from the last I've read. Um, what's your thought on that? Uh, again, I know it's because of the virus and, and probably uh, it's a, potentially a safer place to, to operate from. But uh, what's your thought on, on watching it now from the distance, you know, 10 years later? Well, they, they played part of it in the UAE once before because of the Indian, Indian elections. Um, so they played, I think they split the season once. Oh, look, oh, look, I think, you know, in this environment, you know, I think the show must go on. If it goes on in a in a different form and it has to move, then I think that's just you know that's just a cost of you know what is a very uncertain time. It's better than it not happening. You know, I, I think you know, it puts a lot of it put, puts a lot of money into the game. You know, ultimately it's jobs for the players. You know, it's entertainment for for for, 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 for the population. I mean, I think people need some good news and you know and some distraction from you know what is a in a very serious and, and challenging time. So you know, I think it's great that it's happening. You know. Yeah, yeah no, same here. And, and I've I've been really vocal about moving things around um, and and bringing it into locations where um, you can play safely. And, and it you know it sounds like UAE has done a great job on the virus. Um, you know, it's it's probably an easier place to monitor, control um, things than you know if you would hold this across India. Um, the same way, you know, I couldn't believe that the the French football league just shut down and didn't give it a shot to try to play somewhere, right? Um, and so, you know, luckily Bundesliga and Premier League and others obviously continued to play on there. But uh, and also, I think it's it's good. Now, obviously, there was a bit of controversy as well with with the the Cricket World Cup, which is supposed to be happening in your neighborhood there, right, in Australia this year. Yeah. And uh, and they had to move first before I guess the Premier League could move in there. So, uh, you know, what's your thought on that? Well, look, I mean, I I, think, I just think you know Australia's taken a and it's increasingly so, you know, a, a very focused view on how they're going to deal with uh, COVID nineteen. You know, and effectively close the borders. Um, not only the the borders to Australia, but there are state borders closing also yeah, between states. Right. And you know, right now, you know, Victoria, which is the you know, and Melbourne, which is sort of sporting capital of Australia, you know, mm. is is is, sure. is is the worst affected state. And, and there's no sport going on there. In fact, you, you're talking about moving. I mean, the AFL, which is on right now, have moved ten Victorian teams, and they're all got hubs in other states. And the the show is going on. But you know, I mean, it's 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 sort of hard to believe that there's no sport, um, you know, in in the sporting capital of Australia. I mean, you are looking ahead. There's probably going to be no Boxing Day test. There's probably going to be no Australian Open. The grand final for AFL is not going to be played in uh, Victoria for I think the first time ever. So, you know, the, the the reality is, you know, the virus has you know really um, you know, it really hit a lot of sports hard. But I think, 
you know, one of the one of the one of the sporting bodies was saying, you know, we, we've been through a severe reduce phase, you know, reducing salaries and reducing OPEX and reducing staff, and, you know, but at some point we've got to move to the recover stage, and if that means you know uh, compromise, well, you know, that's the only way. I mean, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, all these all these uh, leagues are having you know, uh, you know diminished crowds because they're not allowed to pack stadiums, but the reality is most people consume live sport on screens, so you know, I think. You know, maybe there's an issue with atmosphere or whatever, but you know, for me, you know, as a sports lover, I love the fact the AFL's on. If there are less people in the stadium, whatever, so be it. But I get to watch my team every week, and you know, it's um, you know, it's something that you know we all missed. We, you know, people have missed live sport, live entertainment. You know, and I think it's such a part of our lives that you know we have to try and make it work somehow. I want to pick up on what you just said. So you think the Australian Open tennis will not happen? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I said, I, I just, I mean, look, it's just, no, it's just a, it was more of amusing, but I think, you know, it's in Victoria right now. They've just done stage four quarantine. So it was stage three, four weeks ago. They've done stage four. The cases mm-hmm. have been rising. Um, that's still the middle of September. I don't, I don't know whether, you know, I mean, I, I, the, the need for people to quarantine for two weeks when they go to, you know, Victoria um, is, is, I think, not going to change for a while. Um so, I mean, look, I mean, I guess never say never. I mean, as the first Grand Slam of the year, it's possible because, you know, it's, the off-season is December. I guess players could go there and spend a couple of weeks in quarantine and train down there and then play the, you know, play the events running up. But, um, so, you know, I wouldn't say, I mean, wouldn't say 100% it's not going to happen. But right now, given what's happening in Victoria, you know, it's a, you know, it's 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 the it's it's the worst place in, the, in Australia right now for Corona. So, you know, the chances... I mean, there's certainly a chance it won't happen, but I think if it was <clears throat> if it was in the sort of middle of the season, I think it'd be much harder. The fact that it's the, you know at the start of the year, yeah. maybe they can find a way. But you know, like I said, I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone's. I mean, and the thing is, you know, you've got hundreds of players coming down, right? So they all have to quarantine. Right. So you know, it's not like it's not like it's not like taking a team. You know, you take the Indian cricket team if they're going to play there. They're talking about that. They, you know, there's 15, 20 people plus staff. They all quarantine in the same place. You can create a bubble. You know, as they're doing with NBA or as they're doing with you know, various other team sports, but I think it's difficult for an individual sport. Yeah, I think bubble is going to be the word of the year here this year, besides coronavirus, of course. Um, yeah. I had a, I had a really interesting discussion with uh, Stacey Allister, who's the CEO of the USTA and US Open, right? So uh, she was on, a, on the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, and of, as you know, the US, US Open is going ahead well, at least uh, last we spoke about it. Um, and the same thing, you know, it's it's a huge challenge because it is a global event and you the players are really coming in from all over the world. Um, but let's get back to um, well, you've already, you've already got players actually saying they're not going, right? So rappers pulled out and you've got Ash Barty's pulled out. And, you know, I, I think, you know, individual players will make decisions. So Absolutely. It, 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 it may happen, but you, you're definitely going to have a, a depleted field. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think everyone has to, whatever, make their own, pick their own choices, right? Um, but what I want to, before we go on to your own business, um, I want to talk a little bit franchise model in India, right? Because I've, you know, the IPL, as I said earlier, was really sort of the catalyst to take this uh, concept of, you know, people buying a franchise the same way, as I said, in the US, it's very common, obviously, but Europe is very different, right? Europe, most of the, the leagues are, are open, uh, open-ended leagues where you have a relegation, yeah. et cetera, system. Um, now, now, you know, and again, you would know more than I do, but I, I think we got Kabaddi, football, volleyball, uh, motorsports, et cetera. I mean, there's a whole bunch of those similar concepts which have launched in India um, over the years and some more successful than others, of course, you know. Where do you think that this is – is it just because the IPL worked so well and people have made money on it that it now works as a concept or what was this what, – what is your view on it? Well, look, I mean, you know, you, you got to define the word works. I mean, I think, you know, the only league that's really making money is IPL. Right. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the other two leagues which have prominence, the ISL and Kabaddi, yeah. you know, the one thing that you – know, well, let me step back. The ISL – the IPL works because it's got a massive TV deal, yes. right? That underpins it, right? You know right. that that puts revenue into the pockets of everyone, right? And totally. then you've got this, and the sponsorship deals on the back of that, right? right. They come with the they they come after the TV deal, although there's a big issue going on right now with their main main sponsor. Um, yeah, but I saw that. no other no other league, none has even close to a comparable TV deal. I mean, mm. you've got two, the two major leagues, Kabaddi and whatever, are owned by a broadcaster. Correct. So, uh, they're know, they're, they're, we, they're funding we, we, it in a different way, right? Well, I mean, and yeah, and you, and, you, and and that 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 sort of um, you know diminishes your major revenue stream. Correct. So you know, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know where they go from a profitability you know point of view because then you're relying on 
you know, you're relying on, you know, uh, sponsorship, which, you know, isn't the same levels of, uh, of IPL yep. and ticket sales, which are, you know, very low for those sort of things. So, you know, then you've got a whole bunch of other sort of, you know, what I say, secondary leagues, but, you know, none of those, none of those had that big line item, which is a, which is a TV yeah. income, but, you know, right. but notwithstanding that, and, and, you know, the reality is that, you know, and we all know this, that, you know, at the end of the day, owning a team, you know, is, is both business and, you know, can be vanity. And there's a lot of people that, you know, can't own an IPL team, but can own something at a, a fraction of the cost. So the motivations for some people, I guess, are you know pure business, and other are, are, are hybrid. So I think it's it's great for it's look, it's great for other sports that mm. they're getting some some prominence. You know, it's great for the athletes. I mean, think about the Kabaddi guys who you know all come from villages where we're making no money and now are making a living from playing that sport. I think that's fantastic. Correct. And. Yeah, 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 that's a sport like, really is. I still don't understand really. I've watched it so many times and I, you know, people try to yeah, explain well, it to me. It goes way over my head. Yeah, you got to grow up with it. But I think it's, it's but you know, they've they, they, they done a great job. And like you said, it's created jobs. So that's fantastic. But I think, you know, especially in this environment, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the broadcast and media income is, you know, you know virtually, you know, is, is paltry for those sports. So, you know, the yes. economics are very different to, to, to that of IPL. Right. And where do you see this? And here, let's talk that for a minute. Um, I, I'm, uh, again, I'm very vocal on that. I believe TV rights will change dramatically over the next few years. Um, the, the sort of, you know, pay TV model in many countries in the world is broken. Um, I'm not sure uh, India, where it sits there exactly. But, uh, you know, it, I don't believe that rights fees will just continue to grow just because someone will throw more money at it and you keep playing the arbitrage game, which... IMG, W, you know, TSA, and others have played for you know twenty years now. Uh, what's your view on that? Yeah, look, I, I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, you know, you just can't keep going up and up and up. We saw that, you know, back in the days of ISL and the Olympic rights and things like that. I mean, sure. I, you know, it just can't be a continued rising tide. So at some point, you know, you know, you, you, what you spend, you've got to make. And I think, you know, what's happening now is, I think, going to be another factor. I mean, I think who would have thought that you know live sport would just stop, right? I'm thinking. Right. You know, It'd be, you know, it'd be interesting for the guys who got the ASC rights going forward. I think, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that. But I do think one thing, you know, I think that ultimately, you know, people buy rights or buy sponsorship, you know, to get to the fans. You know, that's, they want to sell product or they want to sell service or they want to get sell subscriptions or, or whatever. Right. And I think, I think, I think, know your knowing your fan, the data play with respect to fans that's going to be critical going forward. I mean, fans will still gravitate towards, you know, watching live sport um, and live entertainment on whatever screen they watch it on. Um, but I think the key now is to really know and understand the fans. And I think, you know, the internet, you know, gives a real opportunity to engage fans, not just in peak periods, but in non-peak periods, which has really been the holy grail for all of us. You know, I've, mm. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've, I've been involved in events my whole life and, you know, you, you see they're running an ATP event and it's, it's for one week of the year and you're thinking 51 weeks a year, how do I, how do I, you know, how do I make more money out of this? How do I engage the fan more? How do I extrapolate this so the sponsors see better value, et cetera, et cetera? You know, I mean, you know, that's because you have these assets for 50, you know, 52 weeks of the year. So if you can create more top line, you know, that can go to your bottom line. But I think, you know, the the, the notion that, you know, uh, media rights will just continue to, or TV rights will continue to go up, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's that's not going to happen, especially because the market's more fragmented. I mean, you don't have to watch live sport on, uh, you know, only on TV now. And I think that's, and that's going to change the dynamics, you know, um, you know, uh, fairly rapidly. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Hotstar is obviously, a, you know, becoming a big platform in India now. Um, and again, but it's you know their monetization model. I have to admit, uh, you think they're, uh, they're they're heading in the right direction there? Look, I think look, I think you, you, when you're a market maker, you know, it, it takes time. You know, I think ultimately people will vote with their feet or, or their eyes or, or whatever. I think it's it's early days, but you know. Mm. If you get if you get the big rights, you know, um, then I think you know you've, you've got a chance because people want to watch those you know those big properties. But it is about content, right? At the end of the day, um, yeah. So you know, and in some ways, I guess you, you know you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. But you know, I think you know if you look at the if you look at the um, you know the, the the next generations, you know they're not they're not they're not they're not slaves to TV. It's funny, like my you know my yeah. daughter who's you know 18, you know just barely, never watches TV, right? right. You know, we 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 were watching TV the other day and she was just saying how much he hates ads, you know? I mean, they're not used to ads. They don't, they don't, they don't live in a world of ads, right? And it, was, yeah. it, was, it was just like, it was alien to her, you know? And uh, it, was, it was sort of, you know, really interesting for me to, to hear that because, you know, the way that she consumes content is very, very different. Correct. Absolutely. Now, before we move on, uh, the last question here I have for you, football. You know, the world's game, 
Um, and of course, India has an ISL as well as has various other football uh, structures there. Um, but it hasn't really cracked it yet, right? I mean, as much as, uh, you know, I've watched some of the games, um, since it started there. Uh, but it is, uh, it has, it hasn't quite taken off, like you said earlier, right? It's, it's really not as been commercially successful as, uh, as the IPL. Uh, where do you see the future of football in, in India? Well, firstly, I think comparing anything to the IPL is, is a little unfair. You know, it's like, it's like two different planets almost. So I think, you know, <laughs> you have to sort of put everything else into, into different buckets because cricket right. holds a pl- place in India that you know, is un- unlike most sports anywhere in the world. So I think you know, that's, that's what I say first. But nevertheless, you know, I think, look, <clears throat> it is the world's game. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the you know, younger people, you know, love football. But the trouble is, you know, and I have to say this, the quality of the football, is not comparable to the quality of the football, and not even closely comparable to the quality of the football that the football lovers can see on TV every day. You know, but right. whether it be EPL or Bundesliga or Serie A or whatever. So, you know, yeah. I think at the end at the end of the day, sport has to be compelling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, IPL is comp- if if IPL was you know retired players or secondary players or whatever, it wouldn't be what it is today, right? right? IPL is because you have the best players yeah, in the, the world. Best. Yes, playing okay. Newport and, that, and and people you can't kid people they want to watch competitive tough yeah. sport yeah. and I don't I, you know and this is this is a little bit of my concern because you know the quality of Indian football you know compared to you know forget about the the big leagues even some of the smaller leagues is just sure. it's not there yet so right. it's going to take time you know I mean I think right. you know there are people going to watch the games etc but you know the value of the rights, etc. It's going to take time for those to, to you know right. to grow. I think you know stars, I, I mean, star and reliance. I think are playing the long game, and it's, it's going to be a long game. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you know, I mean, but it's hard to say how long it's going to take. I think it's going to take a very, very long time. Yeah. You know, I think in with, the, with currently what's going on in the world, you know, that, that that's going to make it take even longer. Um, yeah. I think it's you know, but but you know, but you know, both organisations now that you know involve star and lines have you know deep pockets and a, and a mission. So. You know, I don't think it's going anywhere, but I think you know, in terms of it becomes sort of commercially viable and paddle it, you know, paddle its own canoe. I think that's going to take time. And then I go back to my other point. You know, when you've got a broadcast as a stakeholder, then you know, you know, you, yeah. you sort of kill your commercial market in some ways. That's right. No, and I totally agree. And, and the part which is interesting because I've had I don't know how many times people approach me to help them on you know their next sort of franchise model for whatever sport in India. Um, and I, and I, and it's exactly the point I bring up. I say, look, the reason why the IPL worked is because you had the world's best players. So if you can do this with another sport where you're saying, Hey, let's do this whole thing in franchise uh, in India and you bring the world best players, then I think you, you're talking about the same thing. But if you're dealing with an Indian concept as it's a nice Indian league, whether it's in Kabaddi, volleyball, tennis or whatever, you know, I think even, even our buddy here, uh, you know, who did the, 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 the global tennis uh, series, what was it called again? IPTL. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, it obviously came out of the same model, right? It was a franchise model. Um, it was, you know, events around the world and, you know, for a couple of years, it, it, it was an interesting one to watch. And somehow it obviously, again, it didn't quite have the, the firepower. In this case, he actually took the global players, right? To it. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, but I think the top, the issue with that is firstly, the thing about tennis is, you know, you can see the best players on TV almost every week of the year, right? I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's two or three tournaments a week and, you know, there's tele- – so so that, you know, I mean, it's great that, you know, you had the best players but and it was an interesting format. But, yeah. again, no TV rights or no TV rights to speak of that, you know, and, and, and when you're paying the players top dollar, yeah, you know, not, you know and, they were, and they were paying top dollar, yeah. that revenue has come from somewhere, right? And without the TV – and the thing is, you know, you know, the TV rights, you know, and the distribution and the exposure, you know, can catalyze as a sponsorship. So, you know, it's a, it's a chicken and egg. And then having the best players is what, you know, can help do that. But in this, in, in, in cricket, you know, having the best players help with the TV rights and the rest of it, you know, in IBTL, it didn't make such a difference because like I said, there's so much tennis content, right? Yeah. And, and official content, you know, there's the Grand Slams and Davis Cup. And then, you know, then there's, you know, ATP tournament, 67 or whatever ATP tournament. So, there's a lot of content, so you know, just having you know the, the best players, and whilst the format was unique and entertaining, wasn't enough to catalyze the sort of rights that they needed to make it sustainable. Right. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. We had a couple of conversations with Mahesh and, and others who were running it, um, and, and some of the you know the, the idea of what revenue streams or the opportunity or what someone would be paying for it, uh, it was really really beyond what I could see anyone would be paying for it. Um, and I think that is where you like I said it, it was an expensive event, of course. Uh, yes, there were franchise fees or certain fees being paid by the hosts um, to host the tournament and bring it there. 
Um, but I think the uh, there was still a the, the challenge was the cost versus the revenue on the other side, and, and that's you know where, where where all these events I guess somewhat fall apart. Now let's move into your new world, um, and I think to some degree you've obviously what you're doing now is very different, right? And and I'd love to hear a bit about it because I think you you're not running sort of events in in a traditional sense. So what is Tapathalon all about, um, and what was the vision uh, you had when you first started this? Yeah, so when, you know, when I was doing, when I left IMG, I was looking for something to sink my teeth into, and I, I'd seen this concept in, in another form, which came out of Australia, and I thought it was really interesting because, you know, it was it's, it's, it's a, it's, it, we call it a race around the virtual world, and it, you know, it started off as a B two B business, so um, around ten thousand steps, and companies were my clients, and they put their employees in. It's all about getting people moving and getting them healthy, um, but you know, it was it, we call it anyone, anywhere, anytime. It allows you to do your activity wherever you are whoever you are, it's not prescriptive. You can walk, you can run, you can play sport, you can do gym, but you get credited for your movement, goes okay. into the it goes into the website and your team moves on the virtual race course. And we started off as a pure B2B proposition. Okay. And so when I saw the concept, I like it for a couple of reasons. One, for me, it was mass participation, mm. but in a virtual world, right? So therefore, it allowed companies to connect employees wherever they are. And that's a real challenge for companies that are geographically spread out. So right. it was a huge for engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an event, so you know that's the world I come in. Whilst it virtual, it was an event, so you know for me that was a, for for me that was uh, something that I found you know appealing. But you know it didn't have a lot of the issues with the you know with, that we had with events. There was no weather risk, there was no permission risk, um, there were no federations to deal with. You know, right. so 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 you know we were you know so we could paddle our own canoe, and I liked that as well. And then you know because it was B two B, I was selling to companies, and that's where you know, and I was selling to companies at IMG, so I had access, right? So, mm. you know, I thought for me, it was you know, for me, it was it, it, it was very appealing, and you know, there was and India was just at the beginning. And we started in India, and that was just at the beginning of its, you know, sort of you know, fitness uh, sort of revolution, if if you like. So, and, and you, you know, position also, yourself as a wellness company, right? That's sort of is yeah, that but, but, but it is, it's well, it, so it is wellness. You know, it's, it's wellness. We, you know, we say we and we say now we bring a sports marketing approach to wellness, right? And I'll mm-hmm. I'll come back to that in a minute. And the B two B side has been, you know, it's been, you know, successful. We've done five hundred thousand employees and seven hundred companies. But, you know, in these, it's, you know, what I realize over time is that, you know, it's it's hard to scale B two B wellness because companies never have enough budgets to put in all their employees. So they're always allocating a, a small amount, and it's for a percentage of them, etc. So it's hard to get that sort of hockey stick moment, right? Mm. Um, but nevertheless. You know, we've been going eight years, and there's you know there's lots of interest in it, and you know it's it, and and it does a lot of good, right? At the end of the day, it's a, it's it's I say it's a triple bottom line business. We can do good by doing good. It gets people healthy. It helps companies, and you know it's also a, a business. So, but you know, we, we but we had a real seminal moment um, in 2019 where we took the same platform and used it for fan engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to my point earlier, as you know, the holy grail, you know, in our business is fan engagement. How do you engage right. the fan more? Um, to monetize them more, um, especially in non-peak periods, because engagement drops off dramatically after the season or uh, after the live match, etc. So right. you know, even even you know Wimbledon, fifty weeks of the year, no one talks about Wimbledon, but they have these assets for fifty yep. weeks. And if you can if you can if you can create more top line, that goes straight to your bottom line, and that's that's the that's the holy grail for all of us. So you know, and, and the commonality between a fan, Marcus, is besides love of the team, love of the sport, love of the event. Love the celebrities. Everyone can be healthier. Whether you're in Mumbai, Melbourne, or Manchester, right? It doesn't matter where you are. So, so, so that's a commonality between the, between the fan. So we let, did a program just, with. Yeah, let me understand exactly how you track um, the the movement. Is it you, someone has to just you wear a device, yes. or you yes, have to yes, punch yes. in your number? Of you, I ran five k this no. day. No, how does it work? No. So in the early days, we used to give devices, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, many a few years ago, we changed it to a BYOD. So we sync with the APIs of you know. You know Fitbit and Garmin okay. and MyBand and a whole and and, and, and various and Apple Health and whatever. So now it's BYOD. Mm-hmm. So that's easy. You can just sink your steps in. Right. If you do if you do other activities like yoga or whatever, then there's a manual entry and we convert it to step. So the currency becomes step, which mm-hmm. is a language that everyone understands around the world. Um, so you know, so it's very easy, very simple. And the whole idea is to make it easy and, and make it simple. But the real key is the engagement and that sports marketing approach to wellness, which I'll come back to in a second. Right. But, you know, we so, so last year we did a very successful program with Manchester City um, to engage their fans in India. And it was it was a real revelation because, like I said, the commonality between a fan besides love of the team or love of the sport is that everyone can be healthier. So it's a real common thread nice. that you can uh, that, that you can leverage. But, you know, um, for us, you know, like I said, the key is the activation and the engagement. And we do a lot of, online and offline activation to get people not because getting people to start is easy i mean human beings with health and wellness 
are great at starting. We go on diets, but we go off diets. We buy gym memberships, we don't go. So that's where the engagement is critical, right? And that's why, you know, and I say, you know, we, we all know from the sports marketing world that sponsorship must be activated to get ROI, right? If you don't activate a sponsorship, it's a bit like buying a car and not putting petrol in it. It looks good in the driveway, but it doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And wellness to me is the same thing because, you know, if you don't if you don't activate and engage, then people do what people do, which is start and then stop, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, that's what human beings do. Right. So we've taken that, what we learned in sports marketing and applied to wellness. So lots of activation, lots of engagement, lots of rewards and recognition, you know, because – and that's what I think our B2B clients like and that's what's working on the fan engagement side because, you know, yeah, you, okay. you know there's, there's so much – there's so many – digital health platforms or apps out there. But ultimately, it's all about DIY, right? It's download the app and find your trainer and do this. And people do that for a while. But, you know, at the end of the day, unless there's some further motivation, um, you know, it it tends to peter out. And, you know, we do lots of rewards and recognition and experiences and bring all that stuff that we learned, like I said, in in, in sports to to, 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 to fan engagement, you know, and even to our B2B side. So it's been a real revelation. And, you know, now we are, um, you know, we're, we're engaged with various stakeholders around the world, you know, to, to, to use the platform for fan engagement. And what mm-hmm. it also does, it, it, it delivers value to their commercial partners. And right now, we've, you know, we've, we've never been more relevant, you know. I mean, at the, you know, at, at the moment, you know, like I said, every every stakeholder, every rights holder, you know, is, is, is having conversations with their commercial partners right now, right now, right? But we can still get those commercial partners to the ultimate uh, person to whom they want to get to, which is the fan, and the fan mm. sitting at home or whatever they're, you know, I mean, they're working from home, they're missing their live sport or whatever, but they still love their team or, or or the event or the celebrity or whatever. So, you know, for us, it's not just teams; it's you know any stakeholder that's in the sort of sports entertainment. In fact, right now we're doing one with a music festival uh, out of Vancouver, which you know was a four-day festival every summer, been cancelled, and now we're running okay. a hundred-day program uh, focusing on millennials, you know, and recreating that festival uh you know through step athlon but also juxtaposing that with a health and wellness message and you know yeah, nice. uh, you know I, I say to people marcus there's been no time in the history of the human race when more people from the human race have been thinking about health and fitness than right now so you know true. for us this is a this is a really really interesting time and we you know we've got lots of conversations sort of all over the planet on how we can help you know stakeholders engage right. their fans you know you think about it, i mean and, and and everyone is renegotiating right so they're getting less money you know um and so here's a way of maybe bringing your commercial partners back to the table and, and keep building and keeping those relationships mm-hmm. and the third oh, and most it, and the third and really most significant part of it is a data play you know we've got incredible um incredible data mm-hmm. um rich granular first party or what they're calling zero party data now right. um and that's gonna be, and to me you talk about the value of rights that's going to become critical in value and rights going forward. Yes. I think you know how you know your fan, how you grow your fan. You right. know, not just not just. I mean, forget about the live outside the live action. That's going to be critical, I think, in rights value, especially given what's happening now. So, so, we so feel you said like you had what we're, half a million people sign up, or or are you, you for the B two B? Yeah, for the B Yeah, how many or how many yeah. told people? Yeah, say, what's your universe right now of of a database? Oh, no, so, 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 so we've had half a million there, and we did a pilot last year with uh, with with Mansi, which was a. Uh, in India, we have about nearly forty-five thousand people sign up for that, which is mm-hmm. was a very small, but it was very significant because you know in, in India, one of the reasons they did it was Manchester didn't have a big fan base. India, Indians love the legacy clubs, the Uniteds, the Arsenal, sure. the Liverpool. So it was and, and and you know very low recognition, etc. So it was a hugely and we did we did a short version of it. It was a hugely successful. So now mm-hmm. we're talking to stakeholders about you know growing it around the world, not just them, but you know many you know many other stakeholders. And I think for us. One of the things that I find really exciting about this, Marcus, is you know when you're talking to a company, even the biggest company has what 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 employees. But when you're talking to a, a team or a celebrity or an event, there's millions of fans, right? So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, the universe with which we're playing is much bigger, and mm. that's and that and that gives us the potential to scale. Right. And then when you bring in the the, the the commercial partners they have, that gives you some muscle as well. So I think now we're in a good position to really create scale and create a really a really sizable active community which then not only can we monetize through the races but also outside the races through the data that we have so you know there'll be not not only we have what i call sort of event-based income but we can create customer lifetime value through other sort of stuff that's happening you know know, the the subscription-based stuff and Mm -hmm. and other freemium models and working with third parties you know working with other apps and other platforms that are relevant. So, you know, I, yeah. I, see, us a, I see us a really interesting stage in the evolution of the business. Yeah. And, and I like that. I mean, that's part of it. When we were getting into digital as well, is that 
once you're in the digital space, the connectivity to others through API and other things is, is just insane, right? And yeah. that's the fun part of it. And I'm sure that's what you see as well, right? And there's no limit to who you can be connecting with and uh, and then drive each other traffic or collaborate in other ways, right? Yeah, I think that's really important. And that's, you know, you, you don't have to build everything yourself. You know, there are, there are other people that do things better than you would do. You, know, you have to have a, you have to, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, I think have a focus on doing relevant alliances where you know where you know where one plus one equals eleven. You know everyone has to get something out of it. But I think yep. there's there's so much opportunity to do that. You know I think that's what makes this whole space exciting. And ultimately, like I said, is getting to the end consumer. And there's lots of you know there's lots of organisations we're already talking to that want to sort of you know potentially work with us because you know we have potentially access to a you know huge audience through popular culture, sport and you know entertainment is is popular culture, and, and that's something that you know people. You know, people find attractive. It's escapism. It's entertainment. It's all those things, and people need, you know, and therefore getting the messages through and uh, etc. Uh, it's much easier to do that in that environment. You know, I have two questions here. One is, um, so are companies competing with each other? So is there a little bit of, you know, this company ran more or had more points than the other, and so there's a little bit of, you know, who gets on the leaderboard? You built that in as well, or how does it work? So when we started, we were doing just an annual multi-company race. So you had you you were competing both within your company mm. and against other companies. Right. We still do that, but on a much smaller scale. But we're really focusing on customized races now with the bigger companies. Okay. Our focus now is much larger companies and customizing it because you know at the end of the day, if you do uh, you know at a certain time, it's not necessarily convenient for some companies. Others. So we, we we decided to move towards customized customized races. Okay. And yeah. now we can run them at any time over different durations, look and feel, etc. So All that's right. more of our focus. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that sort of answered, and I'm pretty sure that I know the answer already, uh, the revenue model, right? Or, or the business model for you. So you're basically charging a fee to the, to the, to the company you're running it for, or the, how, how do you, uh, how's so, the, revenue, yeah. the business model? So on the B2B side, it's very much like mass participation. It's a, you know, per person fee, which the company mm-hmm. either pays or they split right. it with the employee. Right. Um, but on the B2B, on the, on the fan engagement side, you know, we work with, you know, we get a, we work with a, we get a sort of fixed platform fee and then we share in, uh, you know, revenue that's generated around it. So it could be sponsorship, you know, e-commerce, whatever. So, you know, there's a sort yeah. of a, a flat fee and then an upside. And that's, you know, that's, that's very much, you know, because we provide a great environment for commercial partners, not just domain sponsors, but others to create activations and engagement. That's one of the great things about the you know, doing it in the virtual world. You can give each commercial partner their place in the sun. You can drive revenue and drive business for them, you know, and so, and it makes it very scalable and very appealing because, you know, it's, it's, it's it, you know, they can get straight to the consumer, which is what they're sponsoring stuff for anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, you've been doing this now for almost eight years, so this is not a really – that's not – you couldn't call it a startup anymore. Um, where, where do you see the where, – where is the, the, the finish line here or where do you see your goal? Uh, well, look I, look, I think, you know, I said the first sort of seven years were really focused on the B2B. And like I said, it was frankly just, you know, a marginal break-even business for, for a long time. It was a more of a passion project. But now I think we have a massive opportunity. So I see this, I see sort of, you know, in two phases. There's sort of, you know, pre-fan engagement and post. And, and, and the mm-hmm. fan engagement for us is the huge opportunity because, like I said, all of a sudden you're potentially talking to millions of people, right, um, yep. and working with the brands that want to get to those. So, you know, from my point of view, like I said, I see ourselves as a, both a sports marketing business and a wellness uh, wellness business, or entertainment sports entertainment business and a wellness business, which is you know juxtaposing those, I think is a you know is, is very appealing um, to potential you know uh, third parties who might be looking to invest in us down the line or even acquire us. Yeah. From a sports marketing point of view, from a sports marketing point of view, and you know this. You know, representing stuff is you know is a bit of a you know is a bit of a revolving door. And if you can own IP and own something and then own the customer, that I think that's going to have huge value going forward. So you know, we own the IP, we own the platform, uh, we own the data, or we share the data with our clients. But I'm saying at the end of the day, I think that's going to give us if we can get to the sort of scale that I think we can. Then down the line, I see a you know I see us being appealing not just to uh, to, to organisations in our in our world, sports, media, entertainment. But also to the wellness industry. The wellness industry is a massive industry, and you know they're they're trying to. It's, it's about getting the customers right. So I think we the future for me is you know is, is get this to scale, build a, build an active community, not a notional community, because I think there's a lot of profitless volume in the in the mm. in the digital world, and then you know and then uh, you know uh, you know look to exit or you know partially exit or bring in bigger investors who can help us scale. You know I think we're yeah. going to be very appealing to people in our world, but also like I said to the wellness to the wellness industry at large. 
Yeah, nice. I like it. And I, I have one thought for you already, I, and I'll connect you with these guys. They're called Iconic. I was just on a call with I'm a dev- yeah. one of the advisors to them. You might have heard them already. Um, they recently raised a fairly large chunk of money, um, $100 million. Um, they're building what I would call the super app, right? So it really cut, cuts across dozens of different things. Um, but I don't believe they have anything close to what you're doing there in it. But uh, to me, it, it, there is an audience. They work with influencers. They work with clubs. Um, so there, I think there's some interesting synergies. So we'll put you in touch right. there. Um, but while, we, while we're wrapping up here our conversation, which was fun and, and digging deep into the world, a bit of Indian sports, a little bit about Aussie, Australia here, which is, you know, your home really. Um, you know, let's, let's wrap it up with two, two or three last questions here. One is, if you look back at your career now, both, you know, what you would call more corporate uh, working for IMG you know, on your own here, what was the sort of the couple of quick lessons um, you would pass on to your younger entrepreneur or younger self? Well, I think, you know, for, for, well, I'll break that down. My, my, for my IMG career, look, I, I just think, you know, like I said, for me, I, I think you've got, to, you've, you've got to take educated risks. You know, I mean, I said I, I, I am first and foremost and always will be a, you know, a sales guy. So I think, you know, you've got, to, you've got to be able to face rejection. You know, as a sales guy, you hear more no than you hear yes. yes. You know, I think if you're, as a sales guy, if you have 10 to 30 good days a year, you've had an amazing year. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you hear no most of the time. So I think, you know, That's you've got right. to be persistent. I think, you know, networking, people, people think networking is a dirty word, but I think it's critical. I mean, building relationships, you know, I think Absolutely. for me, the transition from, IMG to Sabathlon, you know, was made easier by the fact that the corporates who, with whom I built relationships at IMG were willing to back me, you know, when mm. I started Sabathlon and I would never would have been able to get it going so fast had, the, had those companies not come on and, and give right. me a chance. So, you know, relationships, you know, can be translated from one, you know, from one industry to another. And I think that's really, really important. So, you know, I think, you know, and I think, you know, look, I think the world's very different now to me. It's, it was still a fairly linear world when I entered the the, you know the sports and entertainment world. I think it's becoming a more non-linear world. But you know, for me, it was a, you know, the, the ability to, to, you know, I said, I mean, I, had I not quit my job as a lawyer and jumped on a plane and travelled around the world and whatever, you know, I probably never, I probably be sitting here now. So you know, right. you know, you've got to, you, you know, and people, you know you've got to, you've got to, you've got, you've got, you've got, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was really chasing a, a passion. And, you know, I was lucky, not, you know, I feel, I feel, you know, very grateful, you know, grateful for that. But I think, you know, you, you know, you, you know, the, you know but you, you have to. Like I said, you have to you have to be prepared. I, I don't you know, everyone says fail, but you have to be prepared to you know to, to go up that steep hill. It's not easy, you know. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, especially in markets like India. You know, it's a, it's not easy to just come in there and do business. It's, you know, it's, as a Western company, you know, it, it, it takes time because India is not a homogenous market. It's a it's more of a continent than a country. But you know, I think you know for me, it's been an incredible incredible journey. I feel very lucky, Marcus, that I went to IMG in India. If I had gone to IMG in Australia, I would have been put in tennis or golf or one division. I would have stayed there for 10 years. Right. Going to India, you know, I had to do everything. You know, I was involved in right. you know, all divisions. I started Fashion Week. I mean, IMG didn't even, IMG didn't own a Fashion Week, didn't run a Fashion Week, uh, you know, at that point in time. We represented right. the commercial rights for New York, but I was with, I actually had coffee with Breck McCormack in Sydney last week and he was saying, look, you know, that was the first Fashion Week IMG ever sort of, you know, did lock, stock and barrel. And right. I never would have been able to do that had I not been in India. So, you know, I mean, right. it was great to be in one of those markets, which is effectively virgin territory, you know? Yeah, the wild east. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and like I said, I, I, I uh, can concur with that. Uh, that's how we started India as well. It, it's, it's a, it took a long road and it's similar to China when we opened there. Um, you know, these markets, as big as they are and the opportunities are large, uh, they're not easy to do for sure. So, and that leads me to my last question here, really. Look, you've been around the industry now for 25 years. Um, you know, we, we reminiscent in, in that. Um, where do you see the, the industry in the next 25? Um, you know, and whether it's India, uh, a bit specifics or in general, which the space you're in now, what do you see? What's, what do you think is going to happen in the next 25 years? Wow, you know, I mean, oh, it's I, a it, tough question. It, 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 it's, actually, it's such, it's such an. I think, I think the next couple of years is going to be really interesting. I think, you know, given what's happening in the world, I think we're going to have another a, a real shakeout. You know, mm. um, I'm not sure. You know, I think a lot of the sort of. I mean, it's amazing, Mark, is what's happening in things like mass participation and whatever. You're, you're just going to see a lot of companies disappear. Um, that could lead to consolidation. I mean, it's potentially, it's possible that the big will get bigger. Uh, you know, although some of the big ones are struggling as as we know right now. Um, I think that. Um, the uh, the value the way rights are bought and negotiated is going to change dramatically, you know. So right. I think that rising tide is is going to change, you know. I mean, I mean, look, 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 Wimbledon's the only company that had pandemic insurance. I mean, you know, and now that's yes. everyone's going to be going for 
for that. And there's going to be a lot more. If you can buy you know, it, no one's going correct. to sell it anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, but, but, but the guys, the guys that are uh, negotiating for sponsorship and whatever, can have so many, you know, so many qualification clauses or whatever. So I think you know, it's yeah. um, it's, we're certainly in an uncertain, uncertain period now. But you know, what's undeniable is that people love sport and people love entertainment, and you know, and they want to watch that. Uh, you know, I think that so, so I think you know. Um, you know, that's that, that's not going to change. But then, you know, the way people consume and view it, you know, we, we already see fragmentation, right? And that's going to that's mm. gonna, you know that's going to change. And you know, you know, people sitting having twenty mates over and watching, you know, on TV in your in your house is sort of gone. You're all watching on the same screen and you know using yeah. social media to bet and play fantasy sport and, and whatever. So it's funny. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a binding thing, live sport and live entertainment. But the way we consume now is somewhat isolating, which I find really weird. You know. Um, yes. So you know, but but you look at things like you know the value of basketball franchises over the years and uh, American sports and whatever. And you know, I say at the end of the day, like I said, it's tribal. Um, it's escapism. It's all those things. That's not going to change. So you know, I, I believe it. You know, it continues to have a prominent place in in the lives of people. Um, yeah, but, and I would know, agree. And I, mean, I, I, I will I, say one other thing, though. The other thing I think is, you know, you had a, you know, we've been through this phase. You know, I was talking to a federation. I won't say who, but you know, a lot of federations were bringing stuff in house. You know, they were, you know, they were staffing up and bringing stuff in house, and mm-hmm. you know, firing the the big agencies. You know, and I think. You know, maybe that maybe that model changes now because you know they you know they're going to have to you know keep their bottom they're going to have to look at their bottom lines and their costs and there might be opportunity for for the intermediaries that had sort of you know uh, that weren't around to get back you know to start working with these federations and stakeholders because they can't have you know the big yep. staff and the big sales team and the big media. So, so that could be an opportunity as well. Yeah, I mean, I I I, yeah, I would concur with that. Uh, I think that two things. One is in the short term, this is, could be the next few years. We're going to see a lot of pain in our industry, no doubt, right? Um, yeah. You rightly said. We, I think there will be things disappearing, whether it's clubs, leaks, or events, um, you know, and agencies maybe with it um, who will disappear. And then, of course, in the long run, yeah, I do believe sport uh, isn't – it's not something which will go away. Yes, esports will take its slice of that entertainment yeah. um, part, no doubt, uh, and it's going to get stronger. Um, that doesn't mean that the number one sport in each market, whether it's cricket in India or you know football in others – um, will disappear. So uh, it'll be an interesting time when we come back at this here in a few years and, and, and look at where what we were all doing and, and what we're doing at that time. But uh, till then, uh, Robbie, thank you very much for your time here. Enjoyed this. Uh, Pleasure. Enjoy your time with your with your uh, daughter there in, in Sydney. And uh, we'll catch up again soon somewhere on the planet. Thanks, Marcus. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.